Pleased to be joined by our good friend Rex Hoggard from Golf Channel and GolfChannel.com. He's out of Pebble Beach this week and a lot of news going on out of this newest signature event. Rex, how's it going, man? Uh, it's Pebble Beach. In different events, different fields, smaller fields, not quite celebrities. Like Everything is kind of different about it, and I love the fact that the one thing that doesn't change is Crosby weather. It's wet, it's cold, it's windy. And I think that that at least we hit, we can cling to that. All right. I like that. So they talk about it being quote unquote reimagined. Are you down with this reimagining or are you kind of sitting back reimagining what it used to be like? <laughs> I mean, I, I think I'm a man of a certain age. So I'm always going to pine for the days when, you know, the celebrities were here. And I think I, I mentioned this earlier in the week when we were kind of talking about it, they, they have taken a proven commodity and we can all agree like of all the PGA Tour events, Pebble Beach stands out. And the reason it stands out, though, is a little bit different than why maybe CPG Sawgrass or some of the other venues stand out. The golf course is the star this week. I mean, I think everybody on the East Coast tunes in just to see the sunshine and the Monterey Peninsula and all of those beautiful vistas that we see, and also the celebrities. It's kind of a hit and giggle, and you might like it, you might not. I've never been a big fan of that, but it certainly it resonates with certain uh, folks in the audience. You had those two things and now you sort of flip that and you've essentially taken the field, cut it in half. You've given it the, I've been told it's the best field they've ever had here for the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. I'm curious and I'll give it the benefit of the doubt now and just wait to see how it plays out. And I'm not even talking this week. I think George B said this a few weeks ago. It's a pivotal year for the PGA Tour for a lot of reasons, but one, They've invested very heavily in whatever these signature events are going to be. And I think once we get to the end of the year and we can take them in totality, it will be interesting dissecting exactly how successful or not they are. Hmm. You know, it's kind of, it's interesting with you're talking about Pebble beach and, and that's kind of the, the hallmark of that whole peninsula and stuff like that. But I remember going there when I was a little kid and um, my dad would be playing there every year. uh, But, you know, and the, the rotation was Pebble, uh, Spyglass, and Cypress. And and then it's morphed all the way to now where it's just Pebble and Spyglass. But it, it's, as I told you in a text, it's my favorite place in the world as far as golf is concerned. And to be able to have it a signature event with all these great players, I think it's going to be a phenomenal event this week. I think so, too. And I think if we get to Sunday, and look, we can talk about the weather going to be varying shades of awful. I think it's what we come to expect here. But if it cooperates just a little bit, and then you end up with what the tour hopes they're going to have. And that's some variation of the game's top players going head-to-head on a Sunday. And if you look at the season so far, like we've had some really cool stories, but that's not really what we want here. I, I would say that's really not what the tour wants here. They want Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy or Scotty Scheffler all the top players going head-to-head on a Sunday. If you get that formula, I'm with you 100%. Rex Hogger joining us. Can we just talk real quickly about why this event needed to be reimagined? Because you mentioned you don't really love the hit and giggle Saturday. It used to bring out a lot. Twitter was awesome on Saturday of, of Pebble Beach. Normally, all the people that hated seeing the Kevin Costners and the Bill Murrays and all that kind of stuff. And then there's those that absolutely loved it, and they would go back and forth. Um the, the, as Bob just pointed out, you know, Billy Casper is one of the all-time greatest players of all time. He never missed uh, the Crosby. And mo- I, the t- 
top players played the Crosby. That was just something that they did. And then somehow it morphed away from that. I'm surprised at the players that are playing for the first time. Scotty Scheffler, for instance. Justin Thomas hasn't been there for a bit. Finau hasn't been there for a bit. A lot of guys that haven't played for some time, Xander Shoffley and others. Why do you suppose the players stopped playing uh, Pebble Beach? Is it that it just takes so long? It's the three courses. The, the amateurs are really more of a pain to play with than we realize. What, what do you suppose factored into the, the lack of uh, a star power to this event? I'm going to push back a little bit. I don't think it had to be reimagined. I think Pebble is kind of a standalone. And yes, I'm sure they wish they would have gotten better fields over the last few years or even decades. But I, as I pointed out, like the, the golf course and the celebrities were the star. And I think it was a very enjoyable, compelling, fun event to watch. I think you can make the argument for TPC Scottsdale is probably very similar. You don't necessarily need a good field there. It's sort of the, the fans and the crowd is the show. To answer your question, though, I, it just didn't fit in the guy's schedule. It was funny. Rory was kind of asked about this earlier in the week. And when it comes to him being a European, he wants to start the season in the United Arab Emirates. And he's had success there. For a guy like Scottish Scheffler, you, you sort of want to build up. I think everybody wants to build up to the Masters. There's a lot of reasons why guys didn't come here. Certainly five and a half, six hour rounds factor into that. And to your point, I think it takes a certain kind of player, a certain kind of personality to make the most of that of what was the celebrity portion that sort of Saturday with all the stars and, and all the shenanigans for lack of a better term. <laughs> I think Jordan Spieth is a great example of that. Like he loved coming here playing with Jake Owen and he still loves coming here. But he talked about it yesterday. Like he's kind of bummed that he won't have Jake Owen by his side. Some guys love that. Some guys don't. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. It's Rex Hogger golf channel joining us. Go ahead, Bob. Well, the other big story um, that came out uh, the beginning of the week was SSG and the the tour um, coming together as a financial partner and um, with with the PGA Tour Enterprises and a three billion dollar investment with a B? Um, what are your thoughts so far with uh, what's going on there? And then we'll ask you some more questions about the whole process and uh, what it means to the tour. Uh, it's up to three billion dollars with a B and journalism okay. and headlines it gets weird these days. I think they sort of lean into it right now. The investment is 1.5 billion with an option to put in another 1.5 billion. And that 1.5 billion is roughly 11% of the valuation of what PGA tour enterprises is going to be. And please don't ask me exactly what PGA tour enterprises is going to be. Cause I wouldn't have a clue. I, I think it's a good first step talking with players. Certainly on Wednesday when the announcement was made, there's probably more questions now than answers but I think that was always going to be the situation because these kinds of deals are very complicated. You factor in that this is just the first step in what, in what likely could potentially be an even more billion-dollar deal if you get some public investment from Saudi Arabia involved. So I think right now, it's the, the line that kept coming up, the word that kept coming up was stability. That after two, two and a half, three years of a lot of instability in the game, a lot of unknowns and a lot of, anxiety over the future of the PGA Tour. This gives some sort of stability that hadn't been there. I think the other half of it is for those who are looking towards the future and whatever PGA Tour enterprises come, it is a good, really, really good first step. And by that, I mean, and, and look, I'm not convinced that the Tour will come to some sort of agreement with the public investment fund. I think it's still sort of up in the air based on everything I'm hearing. But at least now you have what is essentially a starting point with the PIP where you can point to and say, SSG has invested $1.5 billion, and that's 11% equity, essentially, 
in whatever that, that enterprise is, is going to be. So it's a good starting point for there. I personally don't know how we move forward without all parties involved, sort of coming under the same roof, PGA Tour Enterprises. But I think there's still a lot, a lot of moving parts on that. Yeah, I, you met, the first thing you said there is there's still more questions than answers, which is that's the theme through this whole this whole process since we started talking to you back when you were at the say in San Francisco at the courthouses and and everything, and you've been on this story all the way along. I guess my question, maybe you can't answer based on that statement, but are we cl- any closer to bringing everybody back under one roof with this one announcement? I mean, I don't know what you would call close. I, I don't think we'll see it, certainly not this year. I don't even think we'll see it next year. And again, uh, based on some of the things I've heard over the last few days, I don't know that it's a 100% done deal that you'll get all three of these. And I'm talking about the PGA Tour, DP World Tour, and Live Golf under that same umbrella that we keep talking about. I will say this, though, and people who are much smarter and, and know how to do these types of deals have told me repeatedly that when you start talking about multi-billion dollar deals that involve international companies and a lot of moving parts, it takes time. There's a lot of nuance. Now you factor into the idea that this deal has two separate entities. You had SSG, which they have cleared that hurdle, and now you have PIP. So it's not only a multi-billion dollar deal, but you're dealing with two separate entities. That complicates things even further. And in this particular case, and you know, we've talked a lot about this, there's a lot of other nuance when it comes to this. How will the players who join Live Golf be allowed to come back to the PGA Tour? How will the players who remained on the PGA Tour be compensated? I, I think yesterday we got a bit of an answer on that one, and that's, that's going to be equity in whatever PGA Tour enterprises become. But there's so many layers to this. I don't think there's never, there was never going to be a day when the PGA Tour just announced a press conference and laid everything out, laid out the deals, laid out exactly what it's going to mean for the players and the fans and the TV network laid out exactly what the schedule is going to look like. I don't think that day was ever going to come. And there's also uh, involved in this government and government agencies and that kind of thing that really have to sign off on this as well, correct? And that's the big part of it. Like I said, when I said stability, it, it is stability for the PGA Tour because the only way this is going to work, and again, I'm sort of under the mindset that you need all three enterprises together. You need all three parties playing under the same roof, a fractured game, in my opinion, just doesn't work. And so now you've got that starting point that I talked about as far as negotiations for PIP, but you've also got something you can show the Department of Justice and the U.S. Senate, which continues its investigation as well. It will mitigate things. I'm not saying it'll make investigations go away or concern go away for regulators and lawmakers, but if you can point to SSG as a minority shareholder, and those are all American companies who are well-versed in American sports enterprises, if you can point to that and say they, along with the PII, are going to be minority investors, I think that makes it easier. I don't, I'm not saying it's going to pave the way and make the Department of Justice investigation go away, because I don't think that happens, but it certainly makes it more palatable for the investigators. Do you think that John Rahm's move uh, and what he did obviously capitalized very well financially, but you almost had this sort of wink-wink when he did it, like, I'm just snagging this while the money's available. I'll be back before you know it. And now it doesn't necessarily feel like he, he'll be back as soon, as soon as he may have thought. I think, and again, you're getting sort of two schools of thought. And one is coming from Rory McIlroy, and, and interesting enough, one came from Jordan speak yesterday. Well, Rory has taken a very conciliatory tone, especially considering where he was two years ago on this issue. He actually said that the players who left should be allowed to come back, no penalty, left to go to live. And he also made a comment about Terrell Hatton. And Terrell Hatton, when he 
joined Live Golf this week, and there's a lot of things that go into play. But to play in the TGL, which is the league that Rory is a part of, you got to be a tour member. And so he had to go away. And Rory's comment was, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Terrell ends up back on my TGL team, which means, in my mind, it's, Rory sees the future with everybody under one roof. He sees the game reunited. And I tend to lean in that direction. Listening to Jordan speak yesterday, though, talk about you know where we might be. I'm not 100% certain that's the case. And Jordan Speed is in that room now. He's, not, he's one of the player directors on the policy board. So I can see where someone like Rory is coming from because it just makes sense in my mind mm. that we have two events going on this week. And some of the stars in Mexico and some of the stars are here at Pebble Beach. That's not good for the fans. That's not good for either tour. That's certainly not good for the television product. So I think a best-case scenario is everyone under the same roof, but I'm not quite sure we'll end up there. You know, we had a couple of uh, players' meetings. Uh, you had said uh, four hours for the first one and an hour-and-a-half call-in. Um, you also mentioned equity and the players being equity partners. Break that down a little bit as to what that entails or who will get those equity shares and that type of thing. Again, more questions than answers. And this is, this is very much uh, a moving target, and there's a reason behind it. There's a lot of legal hurdles that the PGA tour has to cover. They have to do some filings with the SEC and figure out exactly how they're going to do shares. So that's, that's a little complicated, but I talked to one player director yesterday that sort of laid out the idea of equity stake in PGA tour enterprises would probably handle similar to the way the tour handles its retirement program. And it's a points based system. You would earn a point. If you won on the PGA tour, you would want a point if you qualified for the tour championship, you would win a point if you played in the player's championship, whatever the case may be. And so they've done those models. And the idea right now is they kind of broke it down to the top 36 players on that current points list. And it's the way they're doing it, at least in theory, would be like a five-year rolling window. So the top 36 would get the majority of that first wave of equity shares. And then I can break it down, but you just get the idea that they're going to get more equity shares than others. So that would be the top 36. The next kind of 72 players on that list get another smaller portion of that. And then there's also going to be some sort of mechanism to recognize what was, was described to me as like legacy players. That would be Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods, who clearly isn't playing, wouldn't be earning points in that five-year window, but we can all agree that they should be recognized. They should be investors in this as well. They should get equity along with everyone else. And so that's kind of what they're heading towards, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of real estate between where we are now and where I think we end up. Bob wants to throw Billy Casper's name in there in perpetuity, just for the record. So, um, hey, Rex, uh, before we let you go, the last thing I would want to say is, is you mentioned stability, right? And I guess the question that keeps rattling around in my head is, was the PGA Tour in trouble? Were they in danger of not being able to perform, to continue? Or was chasing the PIF dollars what got them in trouble, these elevated purses put them kind of over their skis, if you will, to the point where that created the instability? Or is it just simply a, a product standpoint of stars being, uh, that, that pie of stars being divided? I don't know if trouble is the right way I would say it, but the path the tour was on without some sort of investment, whether it's private equity or otherwise, was not sustainable. Mm. And this goes back to the meeting, I believe it was in Canada, right after the June 6th announcement, I think it was the day after they announced a framework agreement with the public investment fund. And by all accounts, I've been told that Jay Monaghan painted a pretty gloomy picture of where the tour was right now, that they had dipped into their reserves to meet these elevated persons. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're what, 20, $25 million this week at Pebble beach. And at least last year that did not all come from AT&T and the sponsors. The, the tour had to dig into its reserves 
as part of its strategic strategic alliance with the DP World Tour. They had to dig into their reserves to pay for all the legal fees at the lawsuit that you just mentioned in San Jose. So they were not on a sustainable path. Even when you think about how flush with cash they were after this last round of TV negotiations and media rights, they were certainly going to have to make changes, dramatic changes, that were going to make it hard to compete with Live Golf and sort of those unlimited resources. So I don't know if trouble is the right word, but it wasn't sustainable. Mm. All right. Well, we didn't even have time to talk about the real issue this week, and that's Aaron Rodgers' adjusted handicap. But I guess we'll have to (laughs) save that for another time. Rex, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Great insights. Enjoy the Monterey Peninsula. I hope the weather at least provides a a little bit of reprieve for you to enjoy it out there. I would say Larry Fitzgerald's handicap is the one we should be looking at. I watched him (laughs) ball yesterday. That dude's a machine. There's no way he should be getting strokes from anybody. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Have fun, Rex. Hey boys. There you go, Rex Hoggard, Golf Channel, golfchannel.com.